I'm Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 89. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, I've kept the uh, interview going here with my friend, Dr. Jerry Root, and we want to talk a little bit about his experience with the writer, C.S. Lewis, and how that shaped his spiritual formation and his intellectual development. So welcome back, Jerry. Thank you very much, Carol. It's good to be here. Thank you. So tell our listeners a little bit a bit about the influence that C.S. Lewis has had on your life and how things kind of moved from the time that you were first exposed to him to the present. Well, Carol, you're, you're one of my sister's best friends. Mm-hmm. And so we've known each other over the years, but my sister had an important part to play in this whole process. Yes. <clears throat> so I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, my sister's eight and a half years older than me, so the world she grew up in was f- significantly different than the world I grew up in. I played high school football with guys that got free televisions during the Watts riots in 1965, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And a guy was shot in the leg actually five doors down from our house during oh. the riots. So it was kind of a wild place. I didn't think twice about it because it was home. Yeah. <clears throat> and but but my dad had grown up there. My sister was there. I was there. My brothers. And, and each generation, the the place changes a bit. I had no interest in academic things. I was pretty kinetic. I was always out playing. Yeah. I was a sportsman, and and that's what I was interested in. And I thought I would probably go into a, a job where it was manual labor and mm-hmm. work hard. I had no interest really in going to college, but the sports feature. Mm. is what drove me. Now, I, I had to apply to college, and I applied to college that basically they had two requirements. You had to breathe and be able to pay tuition. They would negotiate the breathing thing, but the tuition was non-negotiable. And, and, and again, I went to play sports. I'd only read six books before I went to college, not counting comic books. I had read a lot of comic books. And I go to college, and the first thing that happens to me Right off the bat, I had an older brother. He took me to a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. They now call it Crew. Yeah. And I heard the gospel. Really? Yeah. I knew which, I, which brother? Chester. I didn't know that. Yeah, he passed away. Yeah. He was only 48 yeah. when he died. But he, he, I was the last one in my family to become a Christian. Yeah. So he took me to this meeting. Well, I, I had grown up, again, in South Central. We went to a, a church that had taught us that if we went to a movie Mm -hmm. and Jesus came back, he wouldn't go in the theater to get us, we'd just go straight to hell. And I wanted to see Walt Disney's The Shaggy Dog, but didn't know if it was worth risking my eternal (laughs) destiny to go see that movie. And the neighbor lady, I'm not embellishing the story at all, this is exactly how it happened. The neighbor lady, Mrs. Greenlee, came down with her boys, Mike and Fred, who we played with, and she said to my mom, can I take your boys to see The Shaggy Dog? I'm looking at my mother with ambivalence. I want to see it on one hand. I'm scared stiff on the other. And when my mother said we could go see it, I began to wonder if she really loved me that she'd put my life in such eternal peril. So I was told in the Sunday school class that I lived a holy and righteous life all my life, but I had one bad thought the last second of my life. I would go straight to hell. So I lived in the fear of that. I believed in God, but I believed too that... I was going to go to hell. Yeah. So I thought, okay, 
I might as well live like it. Get get some fun time in <laughs> now right. and so on. But all I I found out I was just making like my life miserable for the people who love me and I was making my life miserable for my mom. I used to take a gun to school sometimes. My mom found it loaded between the mattresses. (laughs) And she's looking at this gun. It looked like a starter pistol for track. She's looking at the gun. She points it at the mattress, pulls the trigger and blows a hole through the mattress. I'm over at a friend's house. She calls me up to come home. I come home. She's weeping, telling me she thinks I'm going to go to prison one day and stuff. And and when she was done talking to me, she gave me back the gun. Would you give the gun back to your 17-year-old child? She must have been caught in such such unbalance or something like that. But in in it, that was a turning point for me because I realized I was just I can't get to heaven on my works. I deduced if I if I could lose it based on what I did, I had to gain it based on what I did, and the life that I was living was just miserable. And I just was in a catch-22, and I was in existential despair. That was the state when I went to college, prodded to go to college to play sports. And my older brother took me to this meeting. Mm-hmm. And I hear that the God of the universe loves me unconditionally. Yes. He forgives me. I didn't even need to be told I was a sinner. I was intimately acquainted with that feature of my <laughs> right. life. And then I was told he would enter my life as Lord and begin the process of bringing order out of the chaos I had made of things. I, I took to it like a duck to water. Uh-huh. I liked it. So I would share Jesus with my friends, and and they would ask questions, and whenever I'd dig for answers, I would see this name crop up, C.S. Lewis. I never read anything of his. Yes. You know, if he had had a comic book, I might have read it. <laughs> I didn't read anything, but I saw his name, and I saw him quoted, and I, I was intrigued. But my junior year of college, my college roommate and I took our 10 speeds up to San Francisco, and my sister was living up in that area at that yeah. time. Yeah. We were riding all around San Francisco on our bikes. But at dinner one night, she was teaching fifth grade, and she was reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to her kids. Yeah. And, and over dinner, she told me the plot of that book. I said, come on, there's <laughs> books like this? <laughs> And so the next day we're riding around San Francisco and we come to the cannery. It's between Fisherman's Wharf and Ghirardelli Square. There was a bookstore that used to be there and they had box sets of the Narnian books. So I bought a set for my sister's kids. I bought a set for myself and I read them. And and I thought, this is intriguing. I want to find out more about this guy. Yes. So I found he had an autobiography, Surprised by Joy. I picked it up and I read it. And that was a book that hooked me. Because he kept talking about this deep longing he had in the quest to find the object of his longing. You know how Augustine says, our hearts are restless, O God, till they find their rest in thee. And and I I knew the longings. And I had never had anybody give me a vocabulary for my own soul like Lewis Mm -hmm. did in that book. So I started reading him voraciously. Mm -hmm. Then there was a, at my college, I only knew of three Christian professors. One of them was a philosophy professor, and he was highly respected. Okay. And I saw he was requiring some C.S. Lewis in his class. Oh, wow. So I took him, and I remember I ended up majoring in this guy. I took every class I could take. 
I didn't get a minor in philosophy because I was a PE major, mm -hmm. as you know. <laughs> so I, I thought it was the easiest major, yeah. but I didn't read even the catalog, didn't bother. I found out we had an easier major, it was recreation. <laughs> it had all the games and none of the sciences, you know. But anyway, but this prof, I didn't get a minor in philosophy because I had to take one Eastern religion class, I didn't take it. But I took every class this guy offered. Yes. And it encouraged me in my faith and in my reading, and he was the first guy who ever spoke into my life and said, you've got a mind, oh. you can think. And sometimes a person takes a moment to notice and speak some word into your life, and it, 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 it puts winds everything. in your sails. Yes. Yeah. And so it made a huge difference. I'm reading Lewis voraciously now, and I got ready to graduate, and a guy wisely said to me, you do not get an education in college you lay a foundation for an education. Mm -hmm. And commencement, what we call the graduation exercises in the universities, commencement means you will now commence your education by building on that foundation. Pick an author who will take you places and make that author your life mm -hmm. study. I think they could say pick a composer, pick an artist, pick a period of history, pick a country, but something that will open up more doors. And Lewis opens up more than wardrobe doors. Yes. He takes you to other places. I'm already reading him. I say, I'm picking Lewis as my life's author. So I go to seminary. In, in my seminary, <laughs> I had grades that kept me eligible, but not grades good enough to get into grad school. But my seminary always had a few people they would let in thinking, well, maybe God's doing something in their life. Yeah. And I took the whole quota the year I went there. And, and I, I love the seminary. It was Talbot Graduate School of Theology at Biola University. Yes, and they were good. kind to me. Yes. And I had to work my own way through college. Uh -huh. So it wasn't like I could go across country to find some place to go to school. I had to be where I had connections to work and right. so on. Exactly. But, but, but Biola was kind to me and Talbot was kind to me. And my grades were better in grad school because I was interested in the material right. and I and I had transformation I mean when I became a Christian I read the Bible through from cover to cover that first year wow. so my mind That's woke impressive. up well and I kept reading it every year I mean you know, I've read it many many times but I started reading it I didn't I, and I wasn't reading it for textbook I was reading it as a lifeline Amen. I needed it so so but my mind started waking up I started reading but then reading Lewis and so on I get to seminary and I think the longest paper I wrote as a PE major in college was five pages in crayon, you know. And, and, and so, so, so I get to seminary and I have to write a thesis. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to write a thesis on the use of the optative mood in the Greek text of Philemon. There is one there, but I wasn't going to write my thesis on that. And I asked them if I could write on C.S. Lewis. And they said yes. So I wrote, that's the first time I put pen to paper on Lewis. Yes. So I'm reading him. Yeah. I'm now starting to write about him. Mm -hmm. It's weird, but I've actually I've actually lectured on him at 79 universities in 18 different countries. And I did, had no idea that the author I'd be interested in other people would be interested in him, yeah. but if nobody was interested, He's I'd still, still be all in. Mm -hmm. And here's why, too. It's not only his clarity, his um, his ability to to create imaginative depictions of what he's describing mm. so that my heart can catch up with my mind. Totally. It's, it's incredible. Yep. But, but also, as Lewis would write about things, he's not trying to persuade his reader by a face-to-face -face contact. He's getting shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with his readers, mm. and he's describing something out here. Yeah. 
Lewis says, we tend to make judgments before we've defined and described. He says it's easier to make judgments, but it's more important to define and describe. So he would define and describe, and you would catch what he was saying. Yes. And when he moves away, you're still fascinated and all in. Yes. And I think this is important. Oftentimes, we don't realize how tired we are until we're burned out and running on steam. No one knows exhaustion like a homeschooling mom, but you don't have to wait until you hit a wall to make space for rest in your life. Over the years, I've been deeply ministered to by retreats that have given me time and space for silence and solitude. For this reason, I created a place called Sabbath Rest in Guthrie, Oklahoma, where you can get away from the pressures of daily life and simply rest. I want you to find peace for your soul so that you have the strength, wisdom, and joy to love, serve, and teach the children in your care. Come take a nap or read a book, ride a bike to a local antique shop, or sit a while in the place of prayer in my backyard. Come be refreshed so you can return home to your family with renewed vision and refreshed spirit. Visit my website or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. Now back to the show. So, so anyway, he, he, he would start describing something. And I found myself going from Lewis to reading Homer, the Iliad, the Odyssey, reading Plato. I love Plato. I read him over and over again. My copy of him is falling apart. Aristotle. I started reading uh, uh, Augustine, some of the early church fathers, yeah. Anselm, Boethius. Here's a guy Lewis talk, talks about. He, he writes a book called The Discarded Image. They were his prolegomena lectures at Oxford University. They gave over a period of 29 years. Every three years, he'd give them to a new group of students. And they were his back. It's his background book to medieval literature. Oh, if you go I read, know about this. oh, there's, I, I, I wrote a book oh. called The Neglected C.S. Lewis with oh. Mark Neal to talk about the books nobody reads that are his <laughs> best books. Whoa. But they're his literary critical works. I and love those. It, yes. It, 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 hands down, they're his I best love books. Those. Well, anyway, The Discarded Image, okay. it's you come to a medieval book, and if you project 21st century values in it, you're going to miss yes. out on what the author's saying. You need to at least understand the worldview. So he, out of his vast reading, brings together a description of the Middle Ages, and he says, hands down, the most uh, influential book on medieval literature is the Bible. But second is, and by the way, if you read Lewis's letters before he's a Christian, he's quoting the Bible right and left because he's an honest scholar. Yes. And he knows you can't, understand, you can't understand Western literature if you don't understand the Bible. And there's a letter that he wrote to a student once after... Lewis had become a Christian, and he said to the student, if you come up to Oxford, these are the books you need to know before you get here, and if you don't have a knowledge of the Bible, get it before get you come. Busy. yeah. And I'd mentioned to you this philosophy professor that I had in college. Yeah. I remember one time in class, a student raised her hand, and she said, Dr. Praetorius, uh, you said philosophy is a love of wisdom. What's wisdom? And he just shot back, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Can you imagine a university professor no. at a secular college saying that? No. 
And another class I took for him, he had all these books that we were supposed to get, and we got them in a book packet. He says, if you'll see on the syllabus, you'll see where I've assigned the reading from these books, but you'll also see I've assigned readings from the Bible, and I didn't give you a Bible in your book packet because I assumed every liberally educated student would already have a well-worn Bible on their bookshelf. So Boethius, though, he said, Lewis said, was the second most influential author on, on medieval literature. And it's true. You read the uh, 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 Milton's Paradise Lost, he's quoting Boethius. You read Chaucer's Troilus and Cressida, Pander, one of the main characters, recounts the entire argument of Boethius. You, you read all of these. Dante refers to Boethius. They're all talking about Boethius. Even Shakespeare refers to Boethius. So the interesting thing is, I'd never heard of him. I haven't either. So he's a church father? No, 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 no. He oh. was a, a, a philosopher. He was, he was, a, they called him the last of the Romans after the Goths had sacked Rome. Yes. So he's, he's, he's about probably 56 years after Augustine. Okay. The Goths had sacked Rome. He became uh, an advisor to Theodoric, one of the, the second Gothic king. He was one of the last who knew Greek and Latin and so on. Oh. And he had a, a, um, he had a brother-in-law who was involved in the plot to overthrow the king. Never has there been proof that Boethius was in any way involved, but guilt by association, he's put in prison. While he's in prison, he writes this book, and he discusses issues related to the problem of evil, yes. foreknowledge, and free will. Have you ever had a problem with foreknowledge and free will? <laughs> if God foreknows what I'm going to do before yes. I get there, what's going to He answers that question so simply that you say, why did I ever have a problem with it? We have forgotten the books of the past we've turned our back in some senses the enlightenment became a filter and it filtered out all that good That's stuff right. and 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 you say why did i ever have a problem with it because he answered so well and lewis gives a summary of the answer in just two pages in the discarded image and it's absolutely brilliant but anyway so boethius i i, I read boethius and i go my word it took my breath away it's one of the best books i've ever read the consolation of philosophy is a name but it's giving this this is giving an example of how Lewis will open more than wardrobe doors. So I read Boethius, I read Chaucer, I read Dante, I read Milton, I read um, uh, um, Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. I'm probably the only former PE major in the world who's actually read The Fairy Queen. <laughs> I and can't if, read it. It's if, way oh, I loved it. <laughs> and I go back to it. You do. And my old, and my old college buddies, if they had seen me reading Philip Sidney's In Praise of Posey, they would have thought I lost my mind. But these are... These are breathtaking books. Yeah. And Shakespeare and on and on it goes. Yes. And George Herbert, John Donne, and, and then of course the near contemporaries, G.K. Chesterton, George MacDonald, Tolkien, Charles Williams, you know, all these authors. Yes. And and so it just opened up my world. Wow. And then those authors <laughs> refer to people world. too. Because right. exactly. I'll I'll read those authors and uh, another one too, Evelyn Underhill. Oh, yes. I got to her through C.S. Lewis. Yes. And, you yes. know, she wrote to Lewis after he wrote Out of the Silent Planet, and he wrote her back and said, Receiving a letter from you was the greatest literary experience of my life. Oh, that's beautiful. And then she wrote to him again after he wrote uh, The Problem of Pain. Yeah. She liked the book, but she said, Your chapter on animals is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> And it is. It's probably the worst thing he ever wrote. But Lewis has this big heart, you know. He was a big animal lover. He was. He wouldn't have been a member of PETA because they say animal rights. He right. says animals don't have rights because they don't have souls. Yes. But humans have souls. And if they treat their animals right, their yes. souls are diminished. 
All of his evil characters in all of his novels and books and so on, they're all cruel to animals. Mm. And from cruelty to animals, they you easily segue to cruelty to humans. People. Well, there's a proverb that says that about That's a, right. a, a man and his care of animals. Yeah. He's, yes. And Lewis, Lewis, I've actually given lectures on Lewis for the Humane Society mm. U.S., about about this His this sort of thing, animals. but anyway, uh, where was I going Evelyn with that? Underhill. Oh yeah, Underhill. So she writes to him the second letter. She liked his works <laughs> and she's praising them, and 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 actually she said, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I wrote you before. And he wrote her back to that one. He says, Remember you? Are you kidding? Receiving that letter from you was oh, a great. He says it twice. Yes. Greatest literary experience of my life. But in that second letter she wrote to him, she said, I think. Your vision of God is too tame. Ooh. It needs a little wildness. And there are some people who think that his Aslan, when the beavers say uh, he's, he's, he's not tame, but he's yeah. good. Yes. That is maybe that was an Underhill influence. Right? Yeah. Not, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and then also you've got um, uh, Baron von Hugel. You've got all these different people that influence it. And also the medieval mystics too. He was a, he, Julian of Norwich was a big, he was a big fan of Julian of Norwich yeah. and so on. Yeah. And Walter Hilton and yeah. so on. Yeah. So anyway, I just started reading them. Yes. And, and all these books that you see over here, they were upstairs and I moved down. Oh, those yeah. are double thick in the shelves. <laughs> and those are the books I traffic in. Oh. And most of those books I got to through Lewis. I'd really like to be lost in a snowstorm in your uh, down here in this basement. There you go, anytime. Books. Yeah, because one book always leads to another, doesn't it? It, it should. It should. If it, and, and, and he wrote one book called English Literature in the 16th Century, oh, excluding yeah. drama, 700 pages long. <laughs> Took him 18 years to write it. He called the other books he was working on at that time, he called this his magnum opus. Yes. But the other books he was working on at that time, he called his twiddly bits. <laughs> and that included Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, The Great Divorce, The Space Trilogy, the Narnian books. They were his twiddly bit books compared yes. to this one. So in this book, to write it, he read every book written in English in the 16th century. He read every book translated into English in the original language it was written, Old French, Italian, Latin, and in translation. So if he made a judgment, it would be an informed judgment, not a slip, slipshod yeah, judgment. Right. And, and it is a, a masterful book. By the way, 16th century was the century of the Reformation. Mm. So Lewis would say he wasn't a theologian, and it's true. In other words, he wasn't a professionally trained theologian who right. did the kinds of things theologians do, look at current problems and say, how would we think through this as a theologian? Yes. But he was far more informed than most theologians I've ever met. And he read, he read all the books that informed the Reformation, yes. both sides. Yes. And his judgments are informed. So he said, the Catholics thought that the Reformers were antinomian. The reformers thought the Catholics were Pelagian. He said both were wrong. And the reason why he said that was you could find the Pelagians among the Catholics and you could find the antinomians among the Protestants, but you had to bottom fish to get to them. Okay, and, now define those terms for us, please. 
so the Pelagian believes, you know, we, we were saved in many ways by our will. Uh, Pelagius didn't believe that he was quite fallen, you know, and he, he got a lot, of, a lot of bad thinking, and so therefore the grace of God gets watered down, yes. the death of Christ is less important, and so on. Yes. The antinomians are not interested in the law, at no, nomos is a Greek word for law, so against the law, so he, the, the antinomians were people who said, you don't need the law at all. Some people on the radical end of it think that they could do whatever Anything. they want to because it's They're forgiveness safe. and stuff. Yeah. See, those are the bad examples examples of the two camps. Okay. So Thomas Aquinas had said, an author you'll get to through Lewis, by the way, <laughs> Thomas Aquinas said, an abuse does not nullify a proper use. Okay. So the Good. application would be if you could judge, if you judge any se segment of society by its worst examples, nobody could stand. Yes. Lewis even says, if you, if, if you go to a doctor and he's an alcoholic and he tells you you shouldn't drink too much, the advice is still good whether he applies it to himself or not. And I mean, you right. read the, the uh, Proverbs, yes. you think Solomon didn't do a bunch of stuff that he wrote about in that book. We believe he was inspired, so the word is true. And we know his son Rehoboam didn't follow the advice. Right. You know, it was written for his son. That's so, right. So, so this, this idea, though, that uh, Lewis saw that you had these bad examples in both camps. Yes. And that those who were castigating the other side were drawing on the worst examples rather than drawing on the best. Mm. If you want to find out how good your position is, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best of the person mm. on the other side. You know, it's good. easy for us to be sloppy in our thinking. Mm -hmm. Lewis won't let you be sloppy. And so consequently, even reading Lewis, um, you, you find your own thinking honed. Yes. He opens up, like I said, more than wardrobe doors. He takes you into realms of ideas yes. and thinking that were things that you hadn't even considered before. So Jerry, if someone is new to C.S. Lewis, maybe they've read the Narnia books with their children, where would you suggest? I, I'll give you my first response. The first Christian book I ever read was Screw Tape Letters. Mm -hmm. About 21 years old. Um, I'd read Lewis, but I read the Narnia books, had no idea what they're about. But my first book as a Christian that I read of his was Screw Tape Letters. Where would you suggest someone started? What, what trajectory would you take? Uh, it's interesting, after he wrote Screw Tape Letters, it wasn't long after that, he was on the cover of Time Magazine, yes. you know, for his writing. Yes. Um, I, I would ask the person questions before okay. I'd suggest a book. All right. I would, I would want to know, do you like fiction or nonfiction more? Okay. And I would try to gear them according to where their interests were. Yes. And I'd say, here's a book that might have a topic that would be of interest to you. Okay, so if they like fiction, where would you aim them? Well, then I would begin to ask... What kind of fiction do you like? Mm -hmm. uh, do you like poetry? Do you like um, narrative poems, long poems? Do you like uh, lyric poems? Or do you like children's stories, fairy stories, fantasy? Are you a Tolkien buff? Mm -hmm. If you're a Tolkien buff, you might like his Narnia and stuff. I would ask, do you like satire? If they like satire, I'd say Great Divorce or Screw Tape Letters. Or do they like novels? If they like novels, I'd send them to Till We Have Faces, mm -hmm. which is a haunting novel. Yes, it is. Very perceptive. It's yes. like holding up a mirror to our own souls. <laughs> oh, you my know. goodness. Yeah. I know. We don't always like what we see when we read that book. <laughs> but I think that grows out of Lewis's incredible honesty as he writes. And, and, and consequently, his... Um, his almost self-effacing style, but mm -hmm. his his the honesty and the perceptivity. There's not pretense in him. He's not glossing over anything, and he calls us then to the same sorts of. I was going to say, and then we have to do the same thing, which I hate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. He's a very honest man. 
Yeah. Alistair with himself. In, in, in our subcultures, too, I love our subculture, our evangelical subculture, but we have to, if we're honest, admit the places where we could go wrong. And if we marginalize the struggler in our subculture, um, then by default we're saying you can't have problems in this community. Mm. And by, by default it produces a kind of pretense. Now, the struggler, the scriptures in Matthew 18 tell us what we need to do. You go to seek to restore that person, and you go talk to them. You don't sweep it under the carpet, but you also don't trash that person. The goal is restoration. The goal is for the body to take care of one another and to build one another up and so on. So if you marginalize and let it go at that, you have created, you have fed the environment that will lead to pretense because nobody's going to talk about their sorrows and difficulties and struggles. It's not a safe community for that. We want to encourage safe community. And how can we not do that when the God of the universe loves us unconditionally, forgave us Mm. of all of our garbage, and so consequently... Welcomed us in. Huh? Welcomed us in. You know, a a, a holy God welcomed us in how can we not welcome everyone else in yeah. with that same grace well you get these sort of things in lewis's writings but i i have all kinds of friends and they'll talk to me about some moral issue that a friend of theirs is caught up in mm-hmm. and they'll say yeah i know but and, and i'll say the scriptures are not uh, uh, equivocal here they're they're very clear and they and they'll say yeah but i have a friend <laughs> and I, and i'll say to them you know what I applaud you for your compassion for your friend, but if you're if you are cutting bait on on the moral clarities of Scripture, you're probably thinking you're loving your friend, but you're putting their life in peril. And I say, they, they go, well, how do I do this then? And I say, well, look to Jesus, and look at the example of the woman caught in adultery. Where's the man? How come they bring the woman, they didn't bring the man? And how did they set that up if they caught her in the very act? These guys are chumps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they come to Jesus and they say, Moses commanded us to stone such a one. What do you say? So they're trying to catch him. If he he says stoner, then he's cold and cruel. If he doesn't say stoner, then he disavows Moses' law, Mm -hmm. right? And so he scribbles on the ground. I don't know, how was she addressed? Maybe she was inappropriately clothed because they caught her in the very act and jesus is you see a shyness to him in some sense he's mm. scribbling on the ground and mm. stuff and they say moses commanded us to stone such a one what do you say and a minute later he says let him who's without sin cast the first stone moses also said that so they're picking and choosing what they're going to follow mm. and these men slowly peel off mm. then jesus says to the woman did no one condemn you and she says, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. There's the love. Mm-hmm. Go your way and sin no more. Mm-hmm. There's the refusal to relax the standard. Mm-hmm. He can balance the love and truth. And we live in a culture where we think love means you could discard the truth. Yes. Or we live in a culture where sometimes we think hold to the truth and you could discard the love. Look to Jesus. Look how he held the two in, in, in concert. Mm, that is so good. Well, on that note, I think we better close. This has been so great. Is there anything else you want to add? 
Yeah, I would just say in, encourage your kids. You've got people who are raising kids. Encourage your kids, if they have interest, fan the embers into flames and encourage them. And if they get interested in an author, encourage that. Or if they're interested in art, encourage them. Take them to the art museum. Help them to, to discover a particular artist and follow the follow the the thread wherever it goes. If it's a, if it's a, take Mortimer Adler, the great philosopher at University of Chicago, put together great books of the Western world. Last editor of the chief of the encyclopedia said, the best way to get an education is to travel. Mm, I agree. Second best way is to read great books and discuss them with others. Mm. And so do those sorts of things with your kids and, and Lewis might be a helper. Oh, that's so good. Thank you, Jerry. I could just talk to you all week. <laughs> and thank you for joining me this week, listeners, on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help too. Visit my website, caroljoyside.com, to subscribe to our weekly email and receive exclusive discounts in my online store where seminars and interviews are available. Be sure to tune in next week for my next episode where I help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings.